A reading from the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, chapter 45. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn... From my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, all righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. The word of the Lord. Please stand as we read the Psalms together. I'm going to read the first, the odd verses, and you're going to read the ones that are in bolded, um, the even verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgments. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. The word of the Lord. The New Testament reading is from Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." 
Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go and he goes, and to another, come and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into utter darkness in a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go and let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirit with a word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses, and he bore our diseases. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we stand amazed on this morning uh, that you would call us uh, your bride. I do pray, Lord, that through your spirit um, that you would uh, just remind us of how precious we are to you and what a great privilege we've been given in being your church, Lord. We thank you uh, for your faithfulness uh, to us. And again, we pray that you uh, would strengthen us uh, to respond in faithfulness to you. And we ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Be seated. Again, thanks for being with us uh, this morning and uh, celebrating um, our 18th uh, birthday uh, with us. Uh, We um, uh, basically uh, sort of uh, name our birthday as uh, the first Sunday that we began weekly uh, services and actually began weekly services in um, this building on uh, September 12th, uh, 2004. Um, uh, But there was a lot that happened before um, that moment. It was actually about uh, more than 19 um, years ago. Um, uh, that my wife Molly and I were taking some of the first steps in uh, planting uh, Church of the Cross. It wasn't Church of the Cross yet. At that point, we didn't know what the name uh, would be. We had just been approved basically by our church. Um, We lived in the Chicago area, by our church, Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, to be church planters. So we had gone through a a process with them, and they had said, we believe you're called to this, and we want to to support you in that. Um, So we were beginning to think through um, church uh, uh, fundraising and and getting the word out and starting to prepare uh, to make the move um, up here. And one thing that we knew from sort of the study we had done of church planting and from talking about with different people who know church planting was that one thing we had to do was come up with a mission statement. That is, we were sharing this vision for a church. People were like, well, you need to share with them what is the mission you believe um, that this church is called to. 
And I'll admit to you that at first I was a little uh, sort of resistant to that uh, because I felt like, look, we have a mission statement. It's right here. It's the Bible. That's our mission statement. I know it's hard to put on a t-shirt or to put it on a website, but right, why do we need to write something when the mission of, um, that we are called to is given to us here? Um, and so, and then I said, well, okay, if, you know, that's um, too much uh, to do the whole Bible. What about the mission that Jesus gives um, before he ascends into heaven um, at the end of the gospel of Matthew? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But there you go. That's our mission statement. Not really original. Yes, people have known it for 2,000 years, but can that be our mission statement? And again, as Molly and I talked with folks and, and sought wisdom um, from others, um, they said, well, yes, uh, your mission statement definitely should be consistent with the Bible. That's a problem if it's not. Um, it should definitely grow out of and be um, totally in line with the Great Commission. Absolutely. But really what a mission statement does is, is tries to articulate how do we believe this local community, this church, is called to fulfill the Great Commission. What are some words that are important to us? What are some... Um, um, images and pictures that are important to us as we think about how are we called to fulfill the Great Commission? How is God working within this congregation? And of course, that took some imagination and some seeking the Lord on Molly and I's part because we were the congregation at that part. We were it. But as we began to seek the Lord and talk together and again talk with others, um, their wisdom, we began to think about what do we envision? What do we think the Lord is calling us? Um, what do we want to take place in this church? in um, uh, this place. And again, when I say in this church, I don't mean, you know, necessarily this building. We certainly did not think at that point that we would be in a building um, that we would own, at least not for a long time. God surprised us in that. But we were just thinking when the church gathers, whether that's two people meeting for coffee and talking, whether that's people driving to a, a retreat, whether that's people gathering in someone's home, whether that's gathering in a church building or a school building, whether that's gathering in a park as we did last Sunday night, when the church comes together, what do we believe, what are we praying will be taking place? And as we talked about that and prayed about that, we came up with the mission statement that Thankfully, praise God, it's still our mission statement. Um, you can uh, read it there on the inside cover of the, the bulletin on the second page, our mission, to establish a welcoming community where people encounter Christ, are changed by Christ, and introduce Christ to others. Right? Simple, um, again, maybe a little obvious, but that's what we felt like. That is what we believe the Lord is calling us for this church, to be a place where people encounter Christ, are changed by Christ, and introduce Christ to others. I want to look at our Matthew um, reading, the gospel reading today. And just consider how we see um, people encountering Christ, being changed by him. And what this means for us as we are called uh, to be a place where that happens. And then we introduce Christ to others. So if you look at our, um, again, Matthew reading there on page 8 of your bulletin. We have first a centurion encountering Christ. Right? His encounter, right, he initiates it. Or at least he thinks he's initiating it. I think we could say ultimately the Lord is at work initiating this. But the, the centurion comes to Jesus. And we should note that his coming to Jesus, right, I mean, this is a bold thing for him to do. A centurion has a lot of power, right? I mean, they're people of authority. Um, but yet he knows, right, that Jesus is a Jewish teacher. Maybe he thinks of Jesus as a Jewish prophet. Right? But he knows that it's very likely, right, that when he comes to a Jewish leader asking for help, right, that there's reason to believe he would not be received well. 
uh, by Jesus, right? He's part of the ruling authorities, right? He's part of the occupying force. Um, uh, and uh, again, it, he'd have reason to think that Jesus would reject him. Why would I help you, right? You're occupying my people. You're hurting my people. Why would I ever help you? It's interesting, actually, in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke's account of this, we learned that there were Jewish leaders who actually um, uh, made a case on behalf of the centurion and said to Jesus, help this man, right? He's helped us. He actually loves our people. Here, though, we just see the centurion coming forward. And note that it says, you know, appealing to the Lord, appealing to Jesus, um, but actually what he says to Jesus is just, he just gives the facts. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. Right? He recognizes this is a man with authority, and I'm going to come to him, and I'm just going to share. Here's my situation, right? This, the centurion doesn't tell Jesus even what to do, right? I just want you to know I have a servant who is suffering terribly. Obviously, he, he knows um, that Jesus is a healer. And what is Jesus' response? I will come and heal him. Right, immediate. I'll come. I'll heal him. Right, and so the first thing that the centurion um, uh, encounters when he encounters Jesus is he encounters a surprising responsiveness. Right, that again, he's probably surprised that Jesus wouldn't say, wait, you know, you? Like, why should I help you? A centurion, you can tell he's actually ready um, to give an answer. Right? He's ready to show that he recognizes what he's, he's asking of Jesus is probably offensive. But Jesus doesn't even go there. Again, the, the centurion experiences, encounters a surprising responsiveness to him. I will come. I'll heal him. And the centurion actually stops him. Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. Right? I understand, right? It would be controversial. Right? It would be unheard of for you to come into the home of a Gentile. Right? The centurion doesn't understand Jesus does controversial stuff all the time. He doesn't, he doesn't mind offending people. That's what he does. Right? But the centurion doesn't perhaps get that yet. And so he says, no, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word. All you have to do is speak a word of healing and my servant will be healed. Incredible faith. Right? And where does this faith come from? Well, clearly the centurion, he's been pondering Jesus. Right? We don't know what, you know what he knows about Jesus before this, but clearly he's heard there's this man who heals people. There's this man who speaks, and when he speaks, he speaks with authority. And you can tell that the centurion has been, been thinking, how does he get this authority? How can he heal people? How can he speak and teach with such authority? Why do crowds come to him? Why do I keep hearing about miracles um, from this man? And obviously he's been thinking, well, I've got authority, Right? I speak at certain times and things happen. I tell a soldier to go somewhere and he goes somewhere. Right? I tell whole platoons of soldiers to move around and they do. What gives me that authority? Oh, it's because I'm under authority. It's because when I speak, they don't just hear me speaking. They hear the very Roman Empire speaking. They hear the emperor speaking through me because I am his servant. I am under his authority. And something clearly clicked for the centurion. Oh, if someone can heal someone, then it must be that he's under authority under authority of the one who created heaven and earth, under the authority of the one who created our bodies and therefore can heal our bodies. And so he has this insight. Again, I imagine the centurion pondering Jesus, thinking about who Jesus is and how does he do what he does, and he brings this insight. It's really kind of vulnerable, I think, for the centurion. Right? I'm going to share with you, I'm a Gentile, and I'm going to share with you who I think you are and how I understand what's happening right? in front of a lot of Jewish people. And yet, in his vulnerability, in his sharing, this is what I'm trying to make sense of, Jesus. What does Jesus do? Once again, a surprising response. He celebrates the faith of a Gentile. Right? He celebrates the faith of a, of a military man, of a, a centurion. And he celebrates his faith, not just the centurion, but everyone around. 
Listen to this, right? This faith is incredible. Do you hear what I just heard? Right? There's, I've, I've, I've never even seen faith like this before. So again, he, surprises, he, he encounters a surprising response in this. He encounters a surprising celebration of his faith. The, the centurion comes with an incredible vulnerability, and Jesus celebrates that. He celebrates him wading into the water of faith. And basically Jesus is saying, keep wading in. Dive into that water. Right? Put your faith fully into me, in me because you are right. And then he experiences the healing of his servant. Right? Let go. Let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So he encounters Christ, and he's changed by Christ. Right? His change is actually that encouragement for healing. His change is actually that blessing of what God is doing and that celebration that Jesus has. And he's provided for, right? He's provided for, for a, a servant, which again, in Luke we're told, a servant he highly valued. Clearly, this isn't just about, I need this person to keep serving me. This is about, this is someone I love and care about, who I desire to be healed, right? But no, he's not the only one who's changed. I mean, the people listening are changed, right? They get an insight into faith. They get an insight into Christ's power. But the servant is changed. The servant was healed at that very moment. And what did the servant do? to receive that change. What did he do to receive healing from Jesus? Right? He didn't do anything. I mean, he was just sick. He was just lying sick. It's the faith of the, centur- the centurion, right? As the centurion is changed, those around him are changed by Christ. Those around him encounter Christ, even though they weren't even seeking Christ out. They too encounter Christ, right? That servant later, right, could tell people, like, I was healed. I, don't even, I never even saw him, right? And yet he healed me. So that's what happens is we encounter Christ, right? We're changed, and actually that change overflows, in ways that we see, sometimes in ways that we don't oversee, and to those who aren't even seeking Christ, who don't even know him yet. And so we see, again, one example of a change and encounter that as the centurion seeks out the Lord, as he takes the initiative, as he asks. But then, you know, I believe this is on purpose, Matthew then gives us another picture of an encounter with Christ, where actually, at least in the way it's told, no one has sought out Christ um, in this. Now again, is it possible that Peter said to Jesus, hey, my mother-in-law is sick, would you please pray for her? Very possible. But I think it's significant the way Matthew accounts this. That this time again, we see Jesus clearly taking the initiative. When Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Jesus, right, comes in to the place. Jesus looks and he sees the mother-in-law lying there sick with a fever. And he reaches out to her and he touches her. She rises up and begins to serve him. Right? I mean, for all we know, right, the mother-in-law may not have been a fan of Jesus. It's not hard to imagine, right? You know, it's like, Peter, you're like going and following this guy. You know, I mean, you had a good job, right? You were a fisherman, and like, now you're leaving that? And what about my daughter, right? How are you providing for her? Right? We don't know, again, the background, but we know Jesus initiated to her and healed her. And how has she changed? Well, she's, she's healed of her fever, but we're also told, and again, I believe this is significant, she rose and she began to serve him. I don't think it's that Jesus needed someone to serve him so he healed her so that he could get lunch or whatever. I mean, Jesus can serve himself. We see that very clearly in the Gospels. Jesus often is the one serving others, right? But I do believe Matthew gives us a picture there, the Holy Spirit through Matthew, of what happens when we receive healing from the Lord. We are healed, we are changed in order to serve. That's part of what it is to receive healing is to be called into greater service. And we have that picture there. Perhaps it's no surprise that then in verse 17, Matthew um, references a passage in Isaiah often referred to as the passage about the suffering servant. 
or we are healed to serve because the one who heals us is actually the one who came to serve, who serves through actually giving his very life, through taking our illnesses and bearing, bearing our diseases upon himself. And amazingly, as we are healed and we serve, we actually continue to receive healing. Part of our healing is actually through serving. As we serve, actually we experience in new ways, the Lord's grace and the Lord's mercy as he gives us opportunity to serve others in his name. So again, it's a, a different picture of encounter and change. Healing uh, takes place, but it's again a healing that leads to greater service. And once again then, we have in that verse 16, right, a picture of others bringing people um, uh, to Jesus. Right? Just as the centurion brought his servant, in a sense, to Jesus, so are there others. And so once again, that picture of encountering Christ being an overflow, being more than infecting just the person that encounters Christ directly, but those in their lives. Right? There's a, a, a community encountering Christ as certain people come to him with faith. So what does that mean for us? As we think through Church of the Cross, as we think through this calling, this mission, to be a place where people encounter Christ and are changed by Christ. I'll get to the third one in just a second. But as we think of those first two, encountering Christ and being changed by Christ, what does that mean as we look at moments like this, where people encounter Christ and are changed by him in the Gospels? Well, one thing it means is we can't do this. Right? We can't fulfill that mission without Christ. I mean, that was very much on purpose. As we began to work on that mission statement, as we talked about that with people who were feeling called to be part of Church of the Cross, as to be very clear, we have a mission that it's absolutely impossible for us to fulfill on our own, right? This only happens if Jesus is alive, if he is encountering people in our midst, and if he's changing people. And that should be obvious, but it's something I feel like it's good to come back to again and again on our birthday and times again and again to say, we really actually believe that we can't fulfill our own mission. Um, on our own. Right? We can't do it. Right? And that, again, was on purpose. Uh, a song, if you are at our celebration uh, last night, a gathering, we sang a song that um, Andine and Sean O'Neill uh, wrote a number of years ago uh, based on uh, an important psalm for us when Church of the Cross was first starting. It remains an important psalm, Psalm 127, that says, unless the Lord builds a house, the builders build in vain. It's important we come back to that again and again. Yes, this house, this church is being built by the Lord. And if we think we can build it without him, right, we can't do it, right? Our mission statement makes it clear. If we want to be a, people, a place where people encounter Christ and are changed by Christ, then Christ needs to be at work. And we expect him to be at work. And there has been times, I'll be honest with you, over the years where I've found myself praying at times and maybe a difficult situation, Lord, please, you know, help me bring change to this situation. I remember one time I was facing a difficult thing. I was like, Lord, help me to fix this. Help me to fix it. Like, please, just show me how to fix it. And again and again, it's like the Lord's had to say, I'm fixing it, right? right? That's my job. Actually, it's right there in your mission statement, right? I'm the one who brings change. I'm the one who does it, right? Yes, I'll use you. I can be at work through you. But if your prayer is about what you can do, right, then you're missing out. It's about what I can do. It's about who I am and what I will do. So having said that, though, we can also say that it's all God's work, and yet there's a part we play. And this is something our, our bishop, uh, Stuart, says a lot. Um, God does all we do some. Right? And so even as we acknowledge there's no way to fulfill this mission without the Lord, it's, it's his mission, he's the one we want to encounter, he's the one who will change us, we can also say God has directed his church, his people, to do things that welcome his presence. We can't manufacture his presence, we can't force him to be present. But the fact of the matter is the Lord has said, when you do this, I will be present with you. This is how you welcome my presence, it's how you live in my presence. And so we uphold and we teach and we learn and we listen to the word of God. 
And what does um, uh, the book of Hebrews um, say about the, the Word? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Right? It's no surprise that Jesus is called the Word of God. Right? In the Gospel of John, the Word made flesh. Because this is what happens right, when we encounter Jesus, right? the, discern, the discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We see that with the, the centurion. He encountered Jesus and his very thoughts, of the, the, his heart, his intentions were discerned by Jesus. We see that again and again in the Gospels. And we see that and we experience that in the Word of God. As we encounter Christ through his Word, as we encounter the Word of God, Jesus, right, our thoughts, our intentions are discerned. We feel, we feel, and sometimes we fear, that piercing that the Word of God brings. Right? When we celebrate communion together, we're doing that in obedience to what Jesus told us. Right? This is my body. And this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. We are obeying and expecting that he is present, that he is at work. Right? When we ask for his help, when we cry out to him, we are doing that because Jesus has said, ask, seek, knock. Right? That's what he calls us to do. I'm present with you. Call out to me. So we want to be clear. Right? We can only fulfill this mission as the Lord works, but he has given us things to do. But those are things, again, that grow out of his own, um, uh, uh, his own commands, what he has commanded us. And then I just want to be clear then that that third part, right, introducing Christ to others, that grows out of the first and second. As we encounter Christ, as we are changed by Christ, then that introducing Christ to others, that's just the natural outflow. That's what happens when we encounter someone and are changed by them for good, right? When they call us to growth, when they um, uh, bring transformation into our lives, we want other people to know, right? We don't have to be told to do that. It just happens. A number of years ago, again, when my wife Molly and I were still living in the Chicago area, uh, we had a uh, visit um, from uh, her younger brother, Andy. Um, and Andy came down to um, hang out with us uh, for the weekend. He was living in the, the Twin Cities. Um, and uh, not long after he first got to our home and we were, you know, doing some different projects, uh, we began to hear about this woman, Rachel, um, who he had met, <coughs> he went to church with, and was part of a, a small group um, with. And, uh, and we began to notice that Rachel was coming up a lot um, in conversations. And sort of like at times, like the connections he was making to tell us about Rachel were a little, like, kind of like shaky. Um, uh, I think we were eating tacos at one point. He was like, you know, Rachel spent some time in Mexico. And we were like, oh, is that right? And, yeah, she actually speaks really good Spanish. Um, I was like, oh, okay. Um, I think we were talking about like a, a paint color for one of our rooms. And he was like, you know, Rachel's hair is uh, dark. And, and uh, you know, and we were like, really? Like, were we? I thought we were talking about paint color, not the color of Rachel's hair. Um, but he wanted to introduce us to Rachel. She wasn't there in person. But clearly he wanted to introduce us uh, to her. And it kept coming out. Right? And soon, not long after that, she was our sister-in-law and still is. Praise God. We love Rachel. But that's what happens, right? He was feeling the impact of having encountered her and getting to know her and it, the, the talking about her. Now, when we look at this passage, we actually aren't told. Did the, did the uh, centurion right, in Capernaum, did he tell others? Um, it doesn't tell us. It's hard to imagine him not. Right? I mean, can you imagine him not telling anybody about what happened? Right? Can you imagine him interacting with other soldiers and not saying, hey, do you want to hear an insight I had about authority and what came of that insight? Do you want to hear about this guy? You've heard about this Jesus, right? Let me tell you what happened to me. Of course he did. Can you imagine the servant not telling others? Right? I mean, I was dying. I was close to death. And suddenly I'm healed at the exact moment that this guy, Jesus, said I would be healed. 
Can you imagine Peter not telling people about the healing of his mother-in-law? Of course he did, right? Peter was constantly shooting his mouth off. Of course he shared about this, right? And I'm sure the mother-in-law did as well. But we know as we read this, right, we know one person who definitely from these moments introduced Christ to others, and that's Matthew. One of the disciples of Jesus who, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the Gospel of Matthew, right? And he had an incredible encounter with Jesus, also one where he was surprisingly welcomed. As a tax collector, he had every reason to believe Jesus would reject him. Jesus did not reject him, but welcomed him and invited him to follow him. And Matthew then, again, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gave his life, basically, to introducing others to Christ. And he's still introducing others to Christ this morning, right? As we're reflecting on this passage We're being introduced to Christ. We are encountering Christ and being changed by him as Matthew, right, is introducing him to us, again, through the work of the Spirit. And so what I want to bring home for you all as we think about that third part, introducing Christ to others, is that you don't underestimate how powerful it is to speak to the encounters that you have had with Jesus, how powerful it is to speak to the ways that you've experienced the changing, transforming power of Jesus. And maybe that's in dramatic ways. Maybe that's when you first put your faith in Christ. Maybe that's the ways that you've experienced healing, right? Body, mind, soul, emotional healing in the Lord. Or maybe that's just the day-to-day ways you experience the ongoing changing power, the strengthening of Jesus. That is a powerful testimony. And I think we forget how powerful our testimony is. This um, spring and summer, I did interviews with our, our confirmation of students. It's one of the most favorite things I have in my job. When we do confirmations is I get to do these interviews uh, with students. And again and again, you know, I would ask the students a question along the lines of just like, just tell me how the Lord's worked in your life. Like, what are ways you've seen God at work? You know, through confirmation or just through your life, through your family, through being part of a, a church community. And the things they would share, again, which I think they thought, no big deal, you know. I mean, I remember they would share things like, I just, I have hope. And some of my other friends that don't know the Lord, they don't have hope, and that, that affects my life so much that I actually believe there's great things to come no matter what. Or I actually, I have a place to go when I'm struggling with the suffering of this world and the evil of this world. I actually have people I can talk to, and I can pray to God about that. And those testimonies built me up. I mean, I would feel so encouraged afterwards um, to hear those testimonies. And so part of introducing others to Christ perhaps is reintroducing others to Christ. Now, again, in our mission statement, we use the word introduction to make clear this is, you know, about people that don't yet know the Lord. But sometimes part of our mission, right, is to, in a sense, introduce Christ to those who do know him, right? I mean, we need that as a community. We need opportunities to say, listen to what Jesus did. Let me remind you of the transforming power of Christ, just in a small way. Let me encourage you to continue to follow him, right? So we need that reintroduction, Now, again, when we think about introducing Christ to those who don't yet know him, I know that can be hard and anxiety-producing, right? I mean, you don't talk about faith in our culture, and, you know, people can get easily offended, and that gets awkward, and sometimes, you know, in your workplace, it's very much frowned upon. I understand that, and obviously, I believe we need to be winsome and seek the Lord, and how do we make connections with people and not treat people like projects? All that's very important, but again, once again, I would say don't underestimate the power of your testimony. And actually, don't underestimate the reality of the Lord encountering people, giving people faith, right? That we believe all people are made in the image of God. We believe that all people, whether they know it or not, have a deep longing to know the Lord. They have a longing for eternity that they find in the Lord. And as we interact with those, as we seek to introduce Christ to those who do not yet know him, we are actually interacting with those who do want to know the Lord, whether they know it or not. And we can ask the Lord, Lord, open my eyes to see how are you at work in their lives, 
Um, you know, maybe, you know, give me some insight into a place where you're working that maybe I can just encourage, right? I mean, clearly, the centurion, right, the Lord was powerfully at work in his life, and we may interact with those who are like that, who do not yet know the Lord, but are being stirred up and having insights that are profound in the Lord, and maybe for others, that's more hidden. But to trust, again, just as I said, right, about the first two parts of this mission, the third part, it's all God's work, and we, get, we do part, right? He does all, we do part. And that's true as well as introducing others to Christ. To say, Lord, what are you doing? And what's my part in that and the work that you're already doing? Right? Sometimes right, the way the Lord introduces himself to others, the way he uses us actually to introduce others to him is completely surprising. It's like the way we would never plan it at all. I think about uh, a member of our church, Chuck Hobbinger, who um, sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, but was a member of the church for a number of years. And he was first um, introduced to our church community by his friend Cindy when she invited Chuck to help out at um, this Halloween outreach we do every year. We set up stuff outside. Um, a lot of people trick-or-treat in this neighborhood. We give out candy. We do hot apple cider. We do hot dogs and s'mores. Kind of a theme for Church of the Cross. Hot dogs and s'mores come up again and again uh, for us. We like them. Hot dogs are yummy and s'mores are yummy. So, um, so we do that. It's a super fun event. We interact with people. They, they love us, especially when it's really cold outside and we give them hot apple cider. Suddenly they think Churches are great places, no matter how uh, cynical they are about the church. They're like, oh, I like this church. And so it's very fun. And so it was a great idea. For Cindy knew Chuck didn't have a church home. Um, uh, and she said, hey, come check out my church. You know, I know you're, you, you don't feel comfortable coming to Sunday morning service. Come and help out. Great idea. Right? But Chuck was like, oh, awesome. I love making hot apple cider. Like, that's what I love to do. And so basically, he ended up with the worst job or the Halloween outreach. I shouldn't be saying this because we're going to try to recruit one of you to do it um, this year. Uh, but he was basically stuck down in the kitchen, warming up apple cider all night, carrying it out, you know, getting covered with hot apple cider. He was all sticky by the end of the night. He was isolated down there in the kitchen. And we were like, this is terrible. Like, we gave the guy the worst job for basically introducing him to our community. We weren't surprised when we didn't see him coming to church anytime. We're like, of course Chuck's not going to come to church. He's like, that church, you know, tortured me um, uh, down in the kitchen. But the next year, the next Halloween outreach, who shows up? A Chuck. We said, Chuck, I, I can't believe you're here. You want to help out again? He's like, are you kidding? Of course I want to help out. I loved it last year. That was so fun to serve the neighborhood. And that year, he started to make some more connections. I think we made sure someone else was down in the kitchen <laughs> with him. It started to make some friends and sure enough, soon enough came here and encountered Christ here. And his love for service built us up. Again, I think Chuck would have said that part of the way he received healing was actually being given the opportunity to serve, to serve the neighborhood, to serve here. So again, that was no plan, right? Give the guy the worst job um, for an outreach event. That's the way to introduce them to our church family. But that's the way God works. So just in closing, I want to pray. I want to just ask the Lord, invite the Lord to speak to us. I invite you to close your eyes with me as we pray together. And Lord, first, we just thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness to this community. We thank you for the testimonies that I know many have here of your changing power. You change us, Lord, not because you don't like who we are. You love who we are. But you change us because you want us to grow more and more into your image. You want us to be more and more our true selves. And we thank you for that, Lord. I just pray right now that you would speak through your spirit to those gathered here and you would remind them, Lord, perhaps bring to, to mind right now a moment, maybe recently, maybe in their past, where you brought change to them, where they encountered you and experienced your transforming work. Okay, maybe in small ways, maybe in just an ongoing hope, an ongoing purpose in their lives, maybe in big ways. And so just take a moment to listen to what the Lord brings to mind.
Lord, as we consider and give thanks for your work in our lives. I do pray right now that you would bring to mind and someone um, we know, maybe even that we hardly know, that you would want us to introduce um, to you, um, that we, you would want us to, to share uh, with about you, perhaps even um, just to share some small testimony of your work in our lives, and Lord. And so we just ask again that you would bring someone to mind um, now um, that we can um, perhaps even just begin to pray for, that they would come to know you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.